Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to look at our Old Testament reading for today. It's, it's from 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 9. If you have your Bibles, you can open them uh, or your devices or what have you. You're welcome to look on. I just love, love, love the prophet Elijah. Love him so much. Anytime he comes up in our cycle of Bible readings from the lectionary, it's a pretty safe bet that I'm going to want to preach on Elijah. Uh, he's my favorite Old Testament character. I admire him so much uh, for the strength, for the perseverance, the courage that he exhibits in standing up for God's truth, especially in a time and a place where it was very unpopular to do so. I love him for that. But I also really love him because of some of the very real struggles that Scripture gives us insight into. Some of those real things that he went through, those human experiences that you and I know all too well, those feelings of depression, grief, anger, sadness, sorrow, loneliness. All of these things Elijah went through uh, during his, his ministry. Have you ever been at the end of the rope, at the end of your rope because of your job? Have you ever been there? Uh, have you ever been in a season where you think about retirement daily? Maybe you've been in a place where you think about retirement from your retirement. Or if you're younger, if you're younger, maybe you're a student at, uh, at school, you, you also come to that place in your life where you're just done. You're just done with all that work that the Lord has given you to do, you just want it to end. Feels like it's going nowhere. The future's uncertain. Maybe you'd rather be in just about any other situation. And for some of you, you've had thoughts before that if you didn't wake up tomorrow, that would be okay with you. It's no fun to think about. But there really are times in life when the situations that we are given by God really put us to the test, they make us want to quit for one reason or another. And that's where Elijah is in our text today. He's at the end of his rope. He's been called as a prophet by God to a thankless and seemingly fruitless task. One that would put his life in danger at every turn. And he's done. We're going to hear about his problems and our problems are going to seem like first world problems. But nonetheless, Elijah and his story is very important for us to understand how the Lord deals with us. Elijah is going to need just a second. He's going to need a moment to breathe. He's going to need a time of respite where he can retreat and he wants to vent his anger and his frustration to the Lord. And what we'll find is that the Lord does not say to him, how dare you? How dare you be angry with me? That's not what God does. Instead, God comes to him. He comes to his struggling prophet like an expert counselor. And he gives him the peace and the strength that he needs. God deals with Elijah like a loving father does a struggling son. He, he speaks to him tenderly. And he invigorates him for the days ahead. And spoiler alert, 
This is what God does for us in Christ on a regular basis. Even today, that is what God is here to do for you right now, is to speak a tender word so that you might be strengthened for the work that He has for you to do. So we have two things to look at and consider today. I want to look at how God spoke to Elijah, and then the next thing we'll look at is how God speaks to you. So how God spoke to Elijah and how God speaks to you. So Elijah had a tough job. It's hard to compare our lives to him. It's hard to to walk in his shoes. But by this time in the story of Israel, this kingdom, this kingdom of God, which was the nation of Israel by that point, that kingdom had been divided in two. You had Israel in the north and you had Judah in the south. And between the two, Israel took the cake. Israel took the cake as the most wicked place, the most idolatrous, the most murderous, the place where God's word was most despised. And poor Elijah, where do you think he was sent? South or north? To the north. That's where he was sent, of course. And his ministry occurred during the reign of a fellow by the name of King Ahab and his, um, his wife Jezebel. These were real, real mensch, mensch people, if I can use that word. Real mensch people. They really outdid themselves in the previous monarchs in bringing in Baal worship and bringing in false idols and blasphemous practices. These were not good people. I say mensch uh, sarcastically. Up to that point, Ahab was the most wicked king in that super wicked line of kings in the northern kingdom. He He took the cake. So Elijah's job was to go in there this nation that wanted nothing to do with God's Word, his job was to go in there and call them to repentance. And he was to do that to a nation that was under the reign and rule of a wicked king and his pagan wife, a nation that loved its false gods. They loved them some false gods, especially Baal. That was their favorite. So Elijah just had this epic showdown On Mount Carmel. Great story. Great account that the Scriptures give us. He has this showdown on Mount Carmel with the false prophets of Baal. And ultimately, he shows that Yahweh, Israel's God, was the true God and not this phony rain God named Baal. God answered Elijah's prayer. He ignited that watery altar with fire down from heaven. And as Elijah's God was victorious... Then he had all the prophets of Baal executed. The land had been under drought until then. There was no rain. And so God sent rain now that these false prophets had had been dealt with. That didn't sit too well with Jezebel. She didn't like that. She was a Baal worshiper and then she threatened to have Elijah killed. And so he takes off once again. And as he goes and flees from this uh, murderous nation, he's kept alive by the Lord. He's provided for in the wilderness. And he found himself camping in this cave called Horeb, which is also called what? Sinai. Same mountain. The very mountain that God spoke to Moses on. 
Instead, the Lord is going to speak to Elijah in a different way than he spoke to Moses. The Lord comes to him and he asks him, what are you doing here? And here's the prophet's complaint. He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Translation. Not one of these stinking people fear your name, O God. Just me. They all worship this false god named Baal, and they're not worth it. They're not worth the effort. Even those other faithful prophets that you raised up, they're all gone. Now, none of this was totally true. None of this was true, as the Lord would go on to show him. But to Elijah, this is what it felt like. This is where he was. It seemed like there was no hope left. It seemed like the ministry of the word was ineffective in such a rebellious nation. He was tired of facing danger on every side simply on account of the word of God. In Elijah's mind, it was time for him to retire or to die. On the way to that cave, he even asked God to take him out. And see how the Lord deals with him here. He passes by this cave. He passes by in a strong wind. Then there's an earthquake. And then there's fire. But the Scripture says that the Lord was not in any of those things. No doubt Elijah wanted the Lord to bring that type of destruction on his enemies. Did you hear the gospel lesson this morning? James and John, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down on these guys? And the Lord rebukes them. It would have saved Elijah a ton of grief, wouldn't it? And God had done it before. He was capable. He had done it before. He parted the Red Sea with the winds and he swallowed up Pharaoh's armies in judgment. He rained down fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. He sent an earthquake to swallow, up, to, to swallow up Korah and his company of malcontents whenever they rebelled against Moses. But God's ways are not our ways. And you know what God does? He always, always acts justly. He always does. He was going to punish the sins of the northern kingdom. He's going to do it in good time, but for now... He was going to act patiently. The Lord was not in the wind. He was not in the earthquake, nor was he in the fire. Rather, it was in the sound of this low whisper that came to Elijah, that came to him where he could be found. He speaks softly, tenderly, like a father to a son. And what God said to him is, uh, it's a mystery to us. The, the, the text of Scripture doesn't say exactly what he said. But we know that whatever God said to him finally brought him to his feet such that he was ready to hear the Lord and to hear what God would have him do. And from there, Elijah goes to the mouth of the cave 
He's ready to speak to the Lord. He repeats his exact same complaint, only this time he is not hiding. But he's at the entrance of the cave with his face wrapped. But now that he was strengthened by the tender voice of God, he could receive the Lord's counsel. God God told him that he was not a failure like he thought. See, Elijah thought he was a failure. There is no one in this northern kingdom that is faithful to you, O God. I'm supposed to speak the word of law and gospel to these people. I'm supposed to call them to repentance. And they all want to just worship Baal. But God tells him that there were, in fact, about 7,000, 7,000 strong in Israel who had not bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah had more work to do. He was to go on and to anoint to anoint Hazael as king over Syria. He was to anoint Jehu to replace that good-for-nothing Ahab in Israel. And he was to call his eventual replacement in Elisha. He was going to start training him. That's what God had for him to do. In other words, God was saying to him, I will judge my enemies, but only in my timing. Only on my watch. And I will sustain you during this time of trial and persecution. I will provide for the ongoing ministry of the word. And oh, by the way, Elijah didn't know it just yet, but he would exit from this world in style, wouldn't he? He was going to be taken up in a chariot of fire. He didn't taste death. Do you think God had his back the whole time? He did. Now, what does this scene on the mountain have to do with you? That's how God spoke to Elijah that day. But what about you? You're not called to the office of prophet. You're not holed up in a cave somewhere. You're not running for your life from monarchs and from your fellow countrymen on account of the word. You're not doing that yet. You're not holed up in the cave of Mount Sinai waiting for a reply from God. No, you're not Elijah, but you do speak with God. You do speak with God, and you do share in the human experience. You too are brought to your wits end by things that you cannot control in your jobs and in your vocations, those callings that God has placed on your life. And the way that you and I interact with God is not the same way. It's not Elijah's way, but it is very real. And it happens all the time. God deals with us through his word and his sacraments tenderly. Tenderly. Just as he did with Elijah. There is thunder and lightning and there's earthquakes and there's strong winds. That's God's law at work. Think of Moses on Mount Sinai receiving the law and the way that God showed up in power and might such that the children of Israel wanted nothing to do with him. Moses, you go up there. We are not going to talk to that God. He is terrifying. This God who we so often domesticate and turn into our oblivious grandpa comes to us in the law to tell us 
That's not how it is. He comes to us to terrify us with the law so that we can gain an understanding of the gravity of the situation. Apart from His grace, my friends, we are dead in sins and trespasses. So whenever I stand up here and preach and you hear a hard word, the law is accusing you of the things that you have failed to do and it's accusing you of those wicked things that you have done. That's the wind. That's the earthquake. That's the fire that are here to tell you this is serious business. And yet, we know that that wasn't the end of Elijah's story. And that's not the end of your story. God came to him in that still small voice that comforted him and encouraged him. And God still comes to you in that still small voice. Wherever the gospel of Christ and Him crucified is preached and heard, wherever it is read, wherever it is taken to our lips in prayer and in song, wherever there is Christ comforting you and giving you the forgiveness of sins, you have that still small voice of tenderness giving you what you need, strengthening and feeding your faith, calling you to stand and face what lies ahead, knowing that God is on your side. He has not abandoned you. He has not forsaken you. Just because you go through hard things does not mean that He has it out for you or that He is unconcerned about you. Just look at Elijah. Look at Jesus, for that matter. Look at the sinless one. The sinless one who endured all suffering and hardship that the world would throw at him for the sake of your salvation. When you're at the end of your rope, you can call upon Jesus. And he knows your grief and sadness. When you look around you and all you see is faithlessness, when, when everything that you see is nothing but the corruption of sin, death, and the devil, Jesus says to you that He knows. He is your sympathetic high priest who knows your every weakness. And He's here to tell you that your sins are forgiven on account of His cross and His resurrection. He wants you to know that He loves you so much that He gave Himself for you. And He promises that even if things look bleak in your life right now, He is in control. You have only to trust Him. So the still small voice comes to you today through His Word. And as you have heard that voice today in the Word, you are strengthened for the road ahead. You can rise to your feet and you can face whatever comes because the Lord has more work for you to do until He calls you home. And as you keep coming back to Him and His Word and as you keep coming back to the means of grace, He'll be there, ready to come to you again, ready to speak tenderly the words of forgiveness. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.